Nutrition with Love podcast, the show to help you feel better about getting better. I'm Claire Backhouse, a qualified nutritionist, and I'm so excited to introduce my very first guest, Emma Bezik, also a nutritionist and the founder of the Nutrigenomics testing company, LifeCode GX. Now I'd like to introduce my wonderful guest, Emma Bezik, the entrepreneur and nutritionist who created Life's Code GX, which is the first ever specialist nutrigenomics testing and analysis service for health professionals. I've benefited myself from Life Code testing, as have many of my clients, because it's opened up a whole new level of information with which to do personalized nutrition. And on a more personal level, I think it's fair to say that, Emma, you are one of the most well-respected and one of the best-loved educators and leaders in the world of nutrition. I just mention your name and my colleagues without fail will say, oh, I love Emma. (laughs) And I think one of the things people especially appreciate about you is the way that you combine such a depth of knowledge with such a kind and compassionate demeanor. Uh, I think so many nutritionists are grateful to you, first for setting up LifeCoGX testing and second for your dedication to really in-depth training and education. So it is a great honour to have you join us today, Emma. Many of my listeners aren't nutritionists, but I know that they're going to gain a huge amount from just what you're going to share. Wow. Well, first of all, Claire, I'm really, really excited and flattered to be invited to be the first guest on your podcast. So thank you very, very much for that and for such a wonderful introduction as well. And it's got my head spinning about lots of things, just you reminding me of certain things. And how would you introduce nutrigenomics to the average listener who hasn't come across it? Great question. Um, So genomics, first of all, which is part of the word, is about looking at genetic code and genetic variance or difference and understanding how that alters biology, biochemistry, health. And some of genomics is very rigid. So you can have a certain genotype And that can mean that it's inevitable that you develop a certain condition or illness. Uh, Whereas on the whole, nutrigenomics is something that can be actioned through nutrition. And again, that's something that really appeals to me. I feel that we never have bad news for people. That's such a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, it's always hey, this is knowledge that you can use, that you can action and improve your health or reduce your risk of developing something. And that's a really good message to be able to convey um, as opposed to, sorry, you know, not great news and da-da-da. No, we don't ever have that. There's Even when there's something that is perhaps a little bit potentially detrimental or means that a certain food might not be the best for someone. There's always a workaround. And you must find that with like nutrition, it's all about empowerment, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what you're saying about 
knowledge makes you it just it's more fuel rather than something scary it's yeah an empowering thing and actually uh, I remember in one lecture you said something about how knowing more about your genetics um, and then having some nutrigenomic information with that can help you be more compassionate to yourself and I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that because it really struck me at the time yeah I think that is so true I can't remember when I said that but I, it sounds very much like what I would say that a lot of the time people beat themselves up about things like being anxious being overweight not being able to achieve something um not having energy you know oh, I'm tired all the time I feel rubbish maybe I'm bad tempered um can't think straight not sharp uh, and the weight thing you know so many people just feel guilty about food and there's a whole I mean it's complex isn't it that but it's misinformation as well. There's so much bad information that we've all grown up with and that is still out there about what's good for us and what's bad for us and um, what we should and shouldn't do. Some of it's just plain wrong. Um, some of it is right for some people and wrong for others. And that's what personalised nutrition is, whether you have genetics in that mix or not. But I think it really is about that aha, ah, oh, this is why I'm like this, or this is my tendency. And it's not a weakness that is somehow a personality defect or a deliberate kind of behavioral thing. It's just something that is a combination of genetics and environment and knowing and understanding for me it's always been about understanding mechanisms of things and being able to pull that apart and understand why something is put together in that way is the first step to understanding how to support the it's like the shorter leg of the stool yeah you know you've got a wobble we've all got wobbles in certain ways and but where is that wobble where is the vulnerability and therefore this is where we focus and this is where we decide to support rather than just trying to do everything at once be the perfect person eat the perfect diet of which doesn't exist um and you know have this impossible expectation of ourselves yeah I think that's, that's it's just so exciting to to realize like yes there may be environmental things yes there may be choices we've made but to know that there's also a portion that may be genetic that we may be able to support is so exciting yeah. and often it's the genetics that you know that again the genetics aren't bad but the genetics haven't had the right support they haven't had an environment that matches and supports them because how would you know um you know there are some things that some people have a very strong sense of what is good and what isn't good for them just in our liking for certain foods some people will go oh my goodness I love beetroot and then you can look at certain 
genetics. It's like, you know what, you do have a weaker aspect of nitric oxide production and beetroot can really, really fill that gap. And they've never really understood why they've had that love of that food, but they just have, and they know that it's made them feel better. And some people wouldn't have had that sense and they would have never made that connection. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, and knowing the genetics can facilitate that. Yeah. Would you give it, would you be willing to give an example of something where somebody might be tempted to think, I suppose the Compt gene springs to mind, but uh, yeah, just an example, maybe you're one of your favorite examples where people might be sort of blaming themselves being a certain way, but there could be a, a genetic story as well. Yeah. So I think Compt is quite a good example as well. Um, as you mention it. So COMPT uh, is the short code for a gene. And so they've all got really long names. Well, some of them are really, really long. Um, and so we use abbreviations and shorten them to things like COMPT. So COMPT stands for catechol-O-methyltransferase. And so what COMPT does, and the clue is in the name, is it actually breaks down catechol molecules and that still sounds like really sciencey and really gobbledygook to most people but catechol molecules include neurotransmitters like dopamine and stress chemicals like adrenaline as well as hormones like estrogen uh, and so for example with comps if someone has a variance on their COMPT gene, that might mean that has a smaller capacity. It doesn't work as quickly or as effectively. And because that gene is responsible for how we break down and get rid of adrenaline, for some people, once their adrenaline is fired, they can't come down from that very quickly at all. And they'll be really wired and can't come down from that super stressed out feeling for a long time. Whereas other people can just go, whoa, that happened. But two minutes later, I'm fine. And that's a, an example where someone might blame themselves. Why do I feel like this? You know, why am I, why do I get so stressed or feel so awful? it seems like some sort of deep weakness that I can't cope. And it's a genetic part of you. And actually, if you know that, there's certain stresses that you can avoid to start with. So it, it can lead you perhaps to be selective about certain behaviours or certain scenarios, certain situations. Go, you know what, I'm going to try not to put myself in those situations as often because I just know that it's going to feel worse. But this is why. So, And then there are things that you can do nutritionally about that to help the gene as well. So sometimes you can't avoid stress in stressful situations and that gene needs certain nutrients to work as well as it can. And those nutrients include magnesium. And we know that magnesium is good for calm, but that's one reason why it's actually supporting that gene to do its best job. So even though it's genetically compromised, you can still 
give it the best support possible with magnesium. And B2 actually is another uh, cofactor, as we call it, that helps COMPT. So if you know that and you know you're super stressed, you can at least give yourself a little bit of extra help on that side as well. It's just so empowering. I, do, I love hearing the way that you describe it. Thank you. Um, and Pat, would you be willing to give a little overview of the, the kinds of panels that you have and who people who might be interested in them? Yeah, yeah. So we have a panel called Nutrient Core, which is a really good fundamental start point for everybody. And so that has genes that impact individual requirements for vitamins so you know if you go to a shop and you look at the back of a vitamin package it will say you need this much folate and this much b12 and this much vitamin d but actually it's different for different people and that's partly genetic and partly environmental so for example with vitamin d uh, which most people know that we need vitamin D for immunity, for bone health, and for mood. So it supports serotonin, our contentment, our happiness. But what is an adequate amount of vitamin D for one person may not be sufficient for someone else. And that's because we have receptors, so receptor genes. So there's a gene called VDR, which is vitamin D receptor. And our VDR genes differ in terms of how sensitive they are to the vitamin D. So some people, it's as if their receptors are going, yeah, I hear you, I hear you, I'm responding, I'm doing all the good stuff with the vitamin D. Whereas other people's receptors are a little bit hard of hearing and the vitamin D is there, but they're just, it's just not receiving very well it's like a radar but it's just not quite pointing in the right direction and it's not hitting the spot um and so what we would do in that case with that knowledge is make sure that that person has a very robust amount of vitamin d um that we don't want that to dip their tolerance if that dips they're more likely to feel it from a mood perspective probably first of all um, even though for other people it would seem perfectly fine. Um, so that panel has things like vitamin D in it, B vitamins, vitamin C. Uh, it also looks at certain food responses. So some people are lactose intolerant and they might not know the lactase gene makes lactase, which is the enzyme that breaks down lactose, the milk sugar. And this is the one gene I would say we've had the most questions about because people will get their result and go, I'm not lactose intolerant. And we go, are you sure? This is what it feels like to be lactose intolerant and explain that it's not an allergic reaction. It can be delayed, but you are likely to feel bloated What's bloated like for you? Is it something that you've just accepted that you feel a bit gassy and, you know, your jeans feel tighter um, all the time? 
or a few hours after you've had a latte, which is kind of most of the time. Um, and it's become so normal for you. You don't know what it's like to be any other way. And so it opens up that conversation and allows an exploration of that awareness of your own body too. And then without exception, every single person who has questioned that result has said, thank you so much. I had no idea. Interesting. So they actually experiment. Yeah. And then realize it's amazing how quickly we get used or how easily we get used to symptoms. That's such an interesting thing. And it's it's the kind of thing that you might not ever really find out another way. And you don't know, like you might think, I feel quite good. You know, usually what people think is brackets, whatever age you are, I feel quite good for 50 or whatever it happens to be. But you don't know what it's like to feel better, (laughs) you know. So we often think about nutritional therapy as being about people who are ill coming to us with a problem, which it absolutely can be. And it probably is mostly about that. But there are also a lot of people who a few small tweaks could make them feel significantly better. Um, you know, and that could be from a physical perspective or a psychological perspective, a mood perspective, a productivity perspective as well. Um, so you don't know, you don't know your own potential. Yeah. And would you, would you quickly list out the other, the other panels? Panels. Yeah. Yeah. So we touched on adrenaline. Uh, So we have a nervous system panel and that looks at neurotransmitters. So that is uh, brain chemicals that on the whole affect mood and behavior. And so that includes genes that affect our serotonin, our feel good. I call it contentment more than happiness, but it's that I feel at home or what it should feel like to be at home when you're just totally in your space and you feel safe and that everything's in line and that you can be productive because you're in that space. Um, Some people just have little nicks, little changes in their genes that mean they might not be making serotonin that efficiently, or there might be environmental factors that nudge the genes into a different mode. So they divert certain chemicals or certain foods away from that serotonin making process. And things like infections, inflammation, um, are guilty of that, uh, for example. But some people are more vulnerable because their genes are almost like waiting for that message to happen before they pull the resources away from serotonin. So serotonin, dopamine, which is very much about behavior and motivation, like why, what drives us to do certain things? Um, Are we low dopamine and prone to not being able to focus, always looking for the next hit, you know, addictive type behaviors, ADHD type um, traits? And then GABA, which is the calm. And that's the lovely, or it should be, that's the neurotransmitter that balances everything else out and helps us to wind down and relax. And 
that's another weakness for me actually so that was so revealing for me to discover my GABA receptor gene and I've never even heard of GABA <laughs> before I started this you know so this is how far we've come so you know if people listening haven't heard of GABA that's perfectly understandable but it is this lovely good calming neurotransmitter possible to have too much of it but most people it's the other way you are more likely to not have the right balance the right amount of it um and if that is the case it's associated with anxiety um because you just don't have that nice calming kind of chemical washing over you helping you relax very much involved in social anxiety as well and also with a tendency not always but sometimes to use alcohol as a crux because alcohol interacts with that GABA system that GABA receptor so if the receptor hasn't got enough GABA it will take the alcohol and and join with that the alcohol creates the GABA message and so someone will get that initial relaxation effect um but then the consequences of that could be undesirable um and certainly that for me was a huge like revelation because I've always been anxious I never would have done this five years ago um I've always been quite happy to burrow in the detail and research but not really talk about it and now I love talking about it and something like that um, it just helped me to go, you know what, this is what's going on. Um, and actually, I have to really just make sure that my B vitamins are properly supported, uh, particularly B6, actually, for me. Um, and magnesium is, again, features in that system. And then most of all, rosemary. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard me say this. The, yes, the various herbs that are quite yeah, useful. Herbs. Yeah, herbs. Yeah, so herbs like rosemary and lemon balm actually help to keep GABA in play. So they keep GABA in action. And I've always had this thing about rosemary, but I've got worse, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, I cannot walk past a rosemary plant without wanting to squeeze it and smell it. Yeah. But I think that's quite a nice thing. Yeah. It's because and straight away it just it just feels so good to me. But you know, you can have rosemary in tea, you can have rosemary as a little wrist essential oil thing. So it's given me an appreciation for herbs as well. That's it's just fantastic that in a sense you were able to hack your own system. If that's a crude way of putting it, but and Am I hearing you right that actually you found you were able to do things with more confidence that you might not have done before having addressed the GABA? Definitely, definitely. So five years ago-ish, I had to do a, a presentation to a lot of practitioners and I wasn't used to doing that. And I was so nervous about it that I ended up taking beta blockers because I was like, I cannot risk 
melting down in front of all these people who kind of know me a bit professionally and I would physically shake that's how bad it would be and I knew that I knew this because I had experiences of it where I was physically shaking so much during a presentation but I couldn't control the mouse and I couldn't flick between the slides that's how bad it was and I just thought I can't let that happen and I know that there is medication that can help me um because actually I'd had that as a kid when I did my music performance weirdly yeah um so it's obviously been there forever but now I don't I wouldn't do it because I know that I can shore myself up take stock of where I am and I can shore myself up make sure that I'm well supported in the lead up to things and become more in tune with my anxious feelings as well so interesting and so exciting and encouraging to hear as well it is I think that's the thing that we've all got weak points vulnerabilities and what this really does is it can empower you to resolve them I mean anxiety will always be a a risk factor for me it's not that it's gone away it's part of my personality but it means that I can manage it sufficiently to achieve what I want to achieve and that's fine that's good (laughs) I love hearing that (laughs) I had a similar experience um having actually done the life code course for nutritionists and applying some of it to myself and I had a particularly stressful episode and I, but I noticed that it felt that because I had paid attention to methylation needs and actually interestingly GABA as well. And I just noticed, I felt as though I was a, a sailing ship with more ballast. I just felt as though it was a calmer sailing and it was very, very noticeable to me. And yeah, it's fun to see the same in clients as well. In fact, I was just realizing many of my, um, listeners will be interested in thyroid health and I was wondering would you be willing to because I think you set the thyroid panel up partly inspired by your own experience yeah so when I'd had my kind of moment of I don't want to do this anymore and life's too short what can I do and I was incredibly stressed so I was like you know when they go each of these things is a major life event and any one of them can derail you. It's as if I had like five of those things happen at once. Um, And I'd always use running as my safety net. It's like, I can go for a run. It'll give me some endorphins. It'll kind of calm me down. It'll give me space, almost like meditative, like running. I went for a run and it was like running through treacle it was literally as if I couldn't I just had so little energy I could even barely walk along the street and it was it was shocking it was just shocking anyway but it was also like I can't like this the one thing that is like my saving like crooks I can't even fall upon that and I'd never really looked at thyroid very much you know there's so much in health isn't there it's endless infinite yeah and I didn't know much about thyroid just like I'd never heard of GABA and so I did some tests on myself some uh functional tests as well 
and my reverse T3, so you will understand this, um, was really high. So I didn't have antibodies. I didn't have any autoimmune stuff going on, but I had very high reverse T3. Um, and for people who are listening, reverse T3 is a thyroid hormone. And you can correct me with this. Oh, no, no, I was going right. for it. It basically pushes T3, which is the main potent thyroid hormone that gives us our energy and lots of other things. Um, but it, it's as if it blocks that, shoves it out of the way, occupies the receptors again. You know, we're talking about the radars. So it's like the reverse T3 sits in the receptor. So the real T3, the real thyroid hormone, can't get in there and it can't activate it and it's actually a natural system a deliberate mechanism that is part of our design to force us to slow down yeah isn't it yeah and I'd had so many signals and warnings that I was not in a good way and that was too stressed and but I was still pushing myself and wouldn't stop you know I was cold all the time um, I was shaky, things like that. That wasn't enough yeah. to make me stop and think. And, and your T4 was normal on. at this point. Your T4 looked normal, did it? Yeah, it was quite normal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's so easy. Yeah. You can't, unless you test for the reverse T3. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, and that's the thing, isn't it? When you do thyroid blood tests, often they don't test for reverse T3. I think it might have been a little bit high even. Which is a bad sign, isn't it? Because it's like your body's trying really hard, too hard, because you're pushing. So as long as it, as long as physiologically it can manage it. Um, but yeah, the reverse T3 was just it. Well, that was the piece of the puzzle that was just really like it's that then. But then I wanted to understand more about the thyroid system. So you said I'm a test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and it is fascinating I think for people because some people actually I'd always felt that I'm not an autoimmune sort of person that isn't a vulnerability for me I mean of course it never say never because we've all got risks of everything to some extent but you know I just in my heart of hearts I didn't think that was a a thing for me and so when I got that result, and I think initially I'd done a hormones test, which was sex hormones, steroid hormones, and my estrogen was really high. Um, and my cortisol, which is another stress marker, isn't it, was through the roof and the pattern was awful. So you're supposed to have high uh, cortisol in the morning and lower at night. And mine was just soaring away. Wow like the whole time and they were like maybe you're not removing your cortisol very well and that can happen with thyroid yeah like hypoactivity as well it affects detoxification everything um, <laughs> yes yeah everything and and genetically my thyroid report was quite good which kind of explained why my system was doing what it should do yeah just trying really. to slow you down yeah, forced yeah. me, actually. Interestingly, we don't, I personally don't test for reverse T3 routinely, but if it's 
presumably your results would have looked a bit confusing. They'd have looked good in this sort of NHS panel, wouldn't they? And it would just be the T3 and the reverse T3 that were the giveaway. Exactly, exactly that. I mean, once you start looking at thyroid, it is really tricky because I think that's why you need a practitioner who understands it. Because if I, again, I didn't know much about thyroid, the system, and if the practitioner that I was working with, as a practitioner, I think it's important that you work with another practitioner if you're trying to work on your own health. She was the one who said, I think we need to reverse T3 in this case. I want to see it. And that really did help. And I found the life code reports incredibly helpful as well for the, especially the Dio 1 and 2. And recognizing that even if you've got, haven't got a, a reverse T3 problem particularly, you might have a genetic reason that it's difficult to get to the active form of the hormone. Absolutely. And that can be so important when people are just given T4. Some people are great at getting to T4, which is still active, but relatively less potent, isn't it, than T3. But they have a SNP, a variance on this gene DIO2 in particular. Um, I can't remember the long name for that. Deiodinase. Yes. Of course, you're the expert. No, no, no. I have um, been following you, Emma. This is all from you. <laughs> and that means that if you were just looking at T4, I mean, it should give you some hints anyway, because you wouldn't expect it to be perfect if there was this big problem making T3. But some people have a problem converting or activating T4 to T3, and it's very, very influenced by genetics. And so for some people... All they've been able to get on prescription is T4 and it's just not been doing it for them. Yeah, levothyroxine and, doesn't work for so yeah. many people or not enough. It's not enough. Exactly. And it's really common to have that genetic variance. Mm. Um, and some doctors will now accept that gene result as a reason to prescribe T3. Oh, that's good news. Yeah. Okay. It's gradually getting there Great. because it really should be a reason yeah. to say look you can just pile in lots of t4 but it's this you know the pipe is so narrow it can only let a little bit through and it's not gonna do the trick it's not gonna make enough of a difference although you can a bit like we said about compt um you can support dio activity with selenium is one nutrient, isn't it? Because that protein, that enzyme, is made partly from selenium. So if you don't have enough selenium and you've got the slightly less good gene, then it's a double whammy. So at least you can sort out the selenium. And that is the that is what nutrigenomics is. It's kind of going, this is a weak point. How do I compensate? And for some people, supporting with those nutrients might be enough. And for other people, it might be that actually they really do need some T3 support. Yes, which is something I so frequently find with, with my thyroid clients, my hypothyroid clients. But what's wonderful is actually having that insight to be able to say not just, oh, it looks as though 
this is an issue. But some people actually, they or their doctors need to see it in black and white. Here's why, here's what was going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's another layer of information. So you've got for thyroid, you've got a variety of tests that you can do, but it's another part of the jigsaw, isn't it? Having the genes alongside. And there's also, there are genes that are involved in transport of thyroid hormone from the bloodstream into the cells. So some people, they do a blood test and the thyroid hormone in the blood might look as if it's within range and we could have a whole other discussion about ranges but that doesn't necessarily represent where that's getting to in terms of its destination and it getting through and having the benefits that it's supposed to have and so it can shed light on that too so yeah so nutrient core nervous system thyroid um, we've got methylation, which you mentioned as well. And that's huge. I mean, that's another word that people go, what is methylation? But basically, it's a process of generating methyl. And when we talked about COMT as being a methyl transferase, that's what the MT part of the word stands for. Methyl is basically a compound that I think of it as magic fairy dust. It just helps so many different processes in the body work. And you make methyl through B vitamins and zinc um, and other nutrients as well. And we can look at how genes play a part in that and might block certain routes to that methyl generation. And also genes that might use it up a bit quickly. Um, and so help you to optimise making and having a good supply of methyl. Um, and that's good for everything. Um, and as we age as well, we become less good at making our own methyl chemical. So what was good nutrition for someone in their 20s might not be good enough in their 50s. And the genes might have just been coping kind of okay when they're nice and flexible and adaptable in a young person. But the older we get, often those vulnerabilities in our genes are going to be the places that start to let us down. Um, so if we know about them, we can preempt and, and prevent that letdown happening. And I think that's, again, a really powerful thing. You know, rather than just being not for six when everything's got to such a bad state of disrepair or um, not being supported for decades, if we can intervene as early and as young as possible, stop the damage being done, that's the best case scenario. And during all those years, that individual will likely as we said right at the beginning have felt better um you know just had more energy just felt more balanced like your steady ship um and you know how can anyone not want that exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh emma actually that's a great note i think to round off just for time we're gonna have to finish yeah but that was such a wonderful introduction to nutrigenomics and to the work that you have 
set up. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. And thank you also, Claire, for your thoughtfulness around this. And I really, really appreciate that as well. And also for your beautiful idea for your podcast. And I really, really, really wish you well on the podcast. I'm I'm going to watch out for it becoming a great, great thing. <laughs> thank um, you. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much. I'm very, very honoured to be part of it. Thanks for joining us. I do hope this episode of Nutrition with Love has encouraged you and inspired you. If you'd like to look into supporting your health through nutrition, or if the idea of understanding nutrigenomics and your genetics appeals to you, feel free to get in touch via my website on the contact page and have a look at the Life Code website, which I've listed in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to being with you again next time for our next episode of Nutrition with Love.